0: Well, this week stunk, didn't it? The Phillies went one and five against the Mets and Nationals. You assess, but it's just hit another home run. No, wait, that's Bryce Harper. Excuse me. It's okay. We have the antidote for you. Jason Stark is going to talk about Don Carmen. Yes. We also have Scott Kingery talk. Yes. The Phillies Nation podcast is here for you, Phillies fan. Get psyched! Episode four. Yo, Phillies Nation, welcome to the Phillies Nation podcast, it is episode 4, my name is Tim Malcolm, I'm the editorial director of philliesnation.com, go to philliesnation.com for all your Phillies news, rumors, information, and more, check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash Twitter at philliesnation, and Instagram at philliesnation underscore. This podcast will be found and can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spreaker, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, Radio, and on YouTube at youtube.com slash philliesnation. Please rate and review us on iTunes. We love five-star reviews. We love all reviews, but please check us out. Subscribe, tell your friends, tell your coworkers, tell your family members about the Phillies Nation podcast. We do it every Monday. and We try to get it out around noon on Monday. So it was a terrible week for the Phillies. I think we're not going to sugarcoat that too much, okay? It was a terrible, terrible week for the Phillies. They lost five games of the six that they played against teams that we would rather try to beat as much as possible in the Mets and the Nationals. They got waxed by the Mets one night. They lost a couple tough ones. And then against the Nationals, they almost won two of three. And then Bryce Harper decided to inject uh, a little bit of home run power into the Sunday afternoon festivities with two bombs, including a game winner with two outs and two strikes in the ninth absolutely terrible and it just really was a letdown i will say this though bryce harper is one of the best players on earth and if he's going to beat you with a two out two strike home run even if it's a fastball down the middle but it was a fast fastball so be it so be it so be it that's it that's the way it is man that is the way it is But there are other more pressing matters that we have to talk about. By the way, on the podcast today, we do have Corey Sharp from philization.com talking to us about those pressing matters of the week that was. Also talking about Cesar Hernandez, who's playing really well. Scott Kingery and other prospects. And our big special guest today is a good friend of ours and an awesome, awesome baseball mind. You know him. Everybody does. Jason Stark of ESPN.com and ESPN and all these other Places of the sports, uh, the leader in sports coverage will be on with us a little bit later to talk about the Phillies and his youth and sixty four and some awesome stuff and Don Carmen, really good stuff. But the week that was and a really really interesting week it was because as much as the Phillies lost, they made some narrative headlines. Man, oh boy. Let's talk about Monday night. Last Monday, Phillies Mets tie game, seventh inning. Bay Ramos comes in, nobody out, as Drupal Cabrera on, uh, at the plate, and a 97-mile-per-hour fastball just over Cabrera's head that put him on a couple batters later against Joely Rodriguez. Jay Bruce said, oh, Mets lead. <sighs> so, Bay Ramos said the ball slipped. That's, his, that's what he said. And because he said that, we have no other way of knowing whether he ever meant to throw the ball at Cabrera. That's what we can take as fact, right? That's what we know. Journalistically, that is it. If he says the ball slipped, nobody else can tell us any different. Unless Cameron Rop comes, you know, later on and says, oh, no, it didn't slip. He actually threw at him. Or Edgar Bay Ramos publishes a tell-all book later on in his life. We're not going to know the truth except for that he said it slipped. Now, at the moment, I said that there's no way that Edubre Ramos tweeted this at Phillies Nation. I, there's no way that Edubre Ramos would have thrown a Cabrera in that situation. Nobody out, you know, tie game, not going to throw at him. Then a bunch of Mets fans came back and said, uh, Remember when, as Dribble Cabrera hit a game-winning home run off of Edubre Ramos in September of 2016, and then Cabrera did a massive bat flip that was pretty awesome? And then I said, oh, ooh, forgot about that. Because I forgot about a lot of what happened in September 2016. But that gives you a little bit of a, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe Ramos was throwing at him. But he said the ball slipped. So Pete McCannon talked to Ramos about it, which is weird. Because if the ball slipped, then why would you have to talk about it, right? But look, we can say that it's very possible that Ramos was aiming at Cabrera for, you know, a little bit of a message pitch. Oh, I remember the bat flip. I'm going to throw at you a little bit. So we can say that, right? Here's my opinion I don't like when pitchers throw at batters. I don't like the machismo of this is my mound, this is my game, you play by the rules. And that's an opinion that some people disagree with. I know people disagree with this. But this is my opinion. I think that whole part of baseball is ridiculous. And I think this idea of respecting the game because, you know, if a guy flips a bat after a home run, oh, that's disrespectful. No. No. It's not. It's disrespectful to your belief of what baseball is supposed to be. Other people... And this happens a lot in Latin countries because this is what happens. Celebrate when they get a big hit or celebrate when they get a walk. Oduble Herrera does that, right? We see Oduble. We love it. It's, it's hilarious, right? That's what it is for people who play that game that way. They want to celebrate because, by the way, baseball is a child's game that... Now, people get paid millions of dollars to play. And yes, there is a responsibility. uh, But part of that responsibility is showing people that, A, it's a game, while, B, being professional. And you're not being unprofessional if you flip a bat after a hit. I mean, you're not being unprofessional. You're being unprofessional if you're aiming a ball at someone's skull. And whether or not Edubre Ramos was doing that that's the wrong thing. You don't try to injure someone. You don't send a message that you're going to try to injure someone. That's wrong. That's violent. That sucks. That's not what belongs in a child's game. Now, Pete McCannon was talking about bat flips. He talked about it in the in the vein of Adubo Herrera. And he said, I know there's a big contingent of people that think it's fun. Quoting from a Jim Salisbury article, let the players enjoy it. But if I'm a pitcher on the mound and I'm trying to make a team or stay on a team or not get sent down I don't want somebody rubbing it in when a guy hits a home run off me fans might like to see it I guess but for me it's just unprofessional yeah fans like to see it they pay money to come to the ballpark and enjoy themselves and be entertained it's entertainment that's what it is we pay money for it bad flips are fun that's what it is not fun is someone throwing a ball at someone's head that's not fun Edubre Ramos, if he was throwing at as Dribble Cabrera, should not be on this team. He should be suspended. He should be sent down. As he said though, the ball slipped. That's his truth. We have to go with that. We have to respect that. And he stays on the team. But I'm telling you this right now. Pete McCannon saying that these players, uh, there's a there's a disrespectfulness about it, or or you could see why you get mad at that, or it's unprofessional, or whatever he's saying. That's not the right message to send to your team. The right message to send to your team is to go in the media and say, anybody who throws a ball at another player is not welcome on this roster. That is it. Now, that was the big story early in the week. Later in the week, we uh, got the Clay Buchholz problem. He gave up a bunch of runs to the Mets and then left the game early. Uh, an MRI revealed that he might be out for the rest of the season. Uh, no no full-volume ending conclusion on that yet, but we do have a Zach Eflin start on Tuesday against the Mets. Hopefully, his fortunes are a little bit better than Clay Buckholtz's are. Uh, if it is the end of Buchholz's season with the Phils, well... Uh, that that stunk, huh? <laughs> um, unfortunate, you know, we wish that Clay gets better, of course, but, you know, it's, uh, it sucks because it's, it's someone that we thought was going to be part of this rotation all year and it just didn't work out that way, but it's unfortunate and hopefully he does get better. But now we start the whole Lehigh Valley system, right? Eflin will get the first crack. If he does well, then he stays on the team. And if not him, maybe it's Nick Pavetta who's throwing really well. Jake Thompson scuffling a little bit to start the year. But we got a lot of guys who are going to come up and try to do their thing. So hopefully Eflin does his thing on Tuesday. Uh, Meanwhile, the Phillies' bullpen continue to have some trouble, especially Sunday against the Nationals with Joaquin Benoit giving up the big home run to Harper. As I said, Bryce Harper hitting a home run in the ninth inning. That's fine. Look, he's a a great player, and it's what happens. And it was a 3-2 fastball down the middle, but it's okay. He's a great player. It's what happens. That's it. That's it. It's okay. Benoit should still be the closer of this team. Um, I think Jenmar Gomez should not have been closer to begin the season. I think we make too much of a deal about closers. I think we need guys on this team who can get guys out late in games. Benoit has done that for the most part, except for that last home run by Harper. Hector Neris has done a fantastic job and I think should be brought in to face tougher hitters whenever possible. Whether it's the ninth inning or the eighth inning or whatever, even the seventh inning, he should be the guy in those situations. Benoit should be a guy in those situations too. Pat Neshek has done a nice job. He should also be relied on. And hopefully Ramos, hopefully Ramos becomes that guy too. He had a tough go at it earlier in the week, but hopefully he gets himself going as well. Joely Rodriguez, tough start to the year. We'll see what happens there. But certainly the bullpen is a work in progress. It's the least thing that we have to worry about with this team right now. We have to worry more about the starting pitching, which has been up and down, but a little bit better. We'll talk to Corey Sharp about that in a little bit. And the offense, Franco, needs to get better, needs to get bigger hits. We need a star player on this team. Right now that star player, Cesar Hernandez, who leads the team with three home runs. We'll talk about him later on with Corey Sharp. Phillies offense needs to get themselves going a little bit better and again Big star player. That's the big deal right now. We need to find someone in this roster. Who's gonna emerge and be the guy? It's not happening yet certainly If that doesn't happen, we're gonna have a very long season looking for that guy, but it's early. It's April the Phillies aren't playing well, but hey Didn't we see that coming already? (laughs) So it was a bad week for the Phillies, obviously, with all the losses. There were some bright spots, though, as there were some good pitching performances. Uh, And we want to talk about both the good and the bad in the pitching. And I have Corey Sharp here from philliesnation.com. I wrote a piece, Corey, on Sunday at the website about Vince Velasquez and about a lot of people talking about whether he should be in the bullpen. And maybe it's time to move him there. But I wrote about how Velasquez maybe needs to be stretched out to the umpteenth percent and be sort of a 120, 130 pitch guy. What are your thoughts on Velasquez in the short-term future?
1: Well, I, I you know, that what what's going on now isn't working. And, um, you know, but I'm not sure if Pete is, is willing to to do that kind of thing. You know, he took out icop today. I think he had 94 pitches through six innings, and he could have easily went, uh, a seventh inning, but uh, I don't know why he he doesn't, you know, extend his starters. But yeah, that's that's what I, I would try it.
0: So so you think that Velasquez, you know, even if he's getting over the hundred pitch barrier in the fourth or fifth inning, just let him go and because and, I, I I honest I mean I've I've done a lot of research on Nolan Ryan and and he's a very interesting pitcher because through his career. He struck out a, I mean an unfathomable amount of people, right? 5714 yep. career strikeouts, but he also walked the most people ever, 2795. He would walk 170, 180 people per season at at his peak, uh and it got better as his career went on, but why not stretch it out if you're Pete McCann? I mean, it's early in the year, but but you know, I I really think if you have a guy who can throw, you know, 10, 11 strikeouts per nine innings, why not go big on him? So you agree with me?
1: I do, yeah. I mean he would you know, he would end up striking out probably thirteen or fourteen guys a game. You'd see those strikeout numbers rise. And obviously the, the innings pitch would, would go up. Yeah, you know, he would be getting through six or seven and uh yeah, you know, he would be saving the bullpen. And and then yeah, you know, it just may it may work out better for him. He may when the stakes are higher like that, you know he may he may it may cause him to focus a little bit more. You
0: know, so why not? Jared Eichhoff has 19 and two-thirds innings here in his first three games. That's not seven innings per start, although he's pitched as if he can go seven innings per start. Uh, but Aaron Nola is another one who we were really worried about going into the season, but he's pitched pretty well. He has 11 innings of work, 3.27 ERA. He's given up 13 hits in the 11 innings, but he struck out 13. So it looks like he's definitely what we want him to be at this point. What, have you, what are your early thoughts on Nola?
1: Uh, I obviously liked what I seen. I think it's about time now that we stop worrying about him being injured. I think that now he needs to be put on on the same plane as everybody else and um you know and critique him like he's just another pitcher. I think he he's healthy. He's throwing 95. That's something he wasn't even doing last year. And uh I mean, did you see that strikeout to Bryce Harper? I mean, that was, that was some pain. It was 95, and he, he, wasn't, 95, you know, he wasn't throwing 95 last year right. when, he, when he was completely healthy
0: the first two months. So,
1: like I said, I think it's time we start putting him on the same plane as Zykoff and Velekas, and, yeah, and let's I, go. He's healthy.
0: You're talking about the Harper strikeout on Friday, and, man, that thing, like his tailing fastball, when it is on point, He painted that low outside corner, and it was one of the best pitches I've seen him throw. I mean, he has good stuff, but I always get a good Cliff Lee vibe out of him because he's got the ability to paint with a fastball, which is very hard to do, and not a lot of pitchers can do that Uh, with regularity. But he he looks like he's on again.
1: Yeah, I mean, when it's 95, it makes better for Nola. So
0: hope
1: that keeps up.
0: Now, another pitcher who obviously is pitching well to start the year is Jeremy Hellickson. And, again, you know, he's at least getting a little bit more room with Pete McCann. Maybe he's a veteran. That's why. But he has a 1.59 ERA. He did get hooked in the first two outings of his uh, season with five innings each. But because of other you know, problems. I mean, the first the first game, it was his first start of the year. So maybe I kind of understand that. The second one, uh, he left with a little bit of an injury. But now he pitched pretty well on his third start going seven innings. Uh, but here's the thing that I worry about with Hellickson. He has five strikeouts and three walks to start the season in his 17 innings. That is not sustainable. Uh, are you worried at all about Hellickson? Or you think he's going to be able to win with smoke and mirrors?
1: Um, I, I don't. I think he goes through his spurts um, with with strikeouts and uh, pitching to contact. I, I'm not worried about him. I, you know, he's a veteran. He he's been there. Uh, you yeah, know, he's former rookie of the year. And uh, I definitely think you know pitching in the National League I, helps him. Um, you know, he kind of wore out his welcome there in Tampa Bay. But I'm, he's the le- he's the least guy I'm concerned about. You know, I mean, I, I expect him to go out there and give you six or seven, and and give up two or three, and and sometimes he you know, a lot of times he even exceeds that. So like I said, he's he's the last guy I'm worried about.
0: Yeah, I mean, as long as these pitchers get some run support, <laughs> you know, Jared Eichhoff his last right. two starts, uh, I mean, his last start, he didn't get much run support, and then the Phillies came back late in the game, and then they lost, of course. Uh, but Eikhoff has obviously been the big victim over his career. Um, but yeah, it's been a tough go for these guys, because they, I, I think you want to see them get seven, eight innings, you know, consistently, but part of the problem is, it's the fifth or sixth inning, and the Phillies are down by two runs, and they need a pinch hitter to come up, you know, because... Freddie Galvis is hacking at something that you know will pop up on the infield, and you need to get right. somebody in there. So, it's, yep. it's, yeah, it's you know I think the rotation's been good so far, but obviously some sore spots. You want to see Velazquez kind of get himself right a little bit, but again, I think if we just let let him go, like he's, if he's a dog, let him let him roam free and bite people all game long, you know, let him just do it. Um, otherwise, I think yeah. you know the pitching staff is what we kind of thought they were, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, with Velasquez, I think that that's like the yeah. You, know, you want to compare him to something? Yeah, he's a dog. He's a horse. He's your horse. He's your guy. Yeah, right. And you, you throw him. You just thrust him in there and, and you let it go. But as for the rotation, I mean, yeah, th- this was going to be the strength, of the t- strength of the team. Uh, and then yeah, of course with along with the bullpen, how, how much improved it's been from last year. But but yeah, I, all in all, I think. You know, it's it's been it's been a, a good showing, at least for 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 the pitching overall, for the most part.
0: Uh, Corey Sharp, yeah. Cory Sharp from philliesnation.com will we'll talk to you a little bit later on in the show.
1: Okay, sounds good.
0: My guest this week on the Phillies Nation podcast is somebody you will know uh, if you're from Philadelphia, of course. He covered the Phillies for years for the Philadelphia Inquirer. He's now on ESPN, ESPN.com. He works on Mike and Mike in the mornings. He does everything baseball-related for ESPN. Uh, and he just recently actually was uh, inducted, he'll be inducted at least, into the Philadelphia Jewish Sports Hall of Fame. Uh, that'll be May 23rd. Jason Stark, welcome to the Phillies Nation podcast.
2: Tim, thanks for having me, man. Great to be here.
0: Yeah, thanks. And uh, congratulations on the Jewish Sports Hall of Fame induction. That's, that must be a huge honor for you.
2: It's so cool. It's, it's one of the coolest things that's ever happened to me. There's a lot of my friends and a lot of my Philadelphia sports heroes who are in the Philadelphia Jewish Sports Hall of Fame, and I don't know how I got somehow uh, elected to this club, but it's really cool to be there. <laughs> and
0: I, I mean, I wanted to ask you, because I've in a couple of the interviews that I've done so far for the podcast, your name has actually come up more than once, and really? all for good reasons, and it... it we talk about how influential you kind of have been for a lot of writers, especially my generation. I'm in my thirties. Do you think about that with the Jewish sports hall of fame induction coming up too? Do you think about like what kind of legacy you're leaving in baseball writing?
2: Well, I've never really thought of that. Um, I don't know if I've reached a legacy stage, but (laughs) uh, you know, I've always, I've always been grateful for the people who helped me when I was trying to figure it out. And so I've always tried to be one of those people who, helped whoever came along and asked for help i just uh-huh. I actually earlier today was swapping emails with a uh a, a, a college aspiring college sports writer who i met in spring training sat next to him in a press box and i told him to keep in touch he keeps in touch you know he sends me stuff he writes i I try to write back That's right. uh my like my the, the greatest Contribution I ever made probably was the the great Tyler Kepner who covers baseball for the New York Times and is really one you know one of the best baseball writers in America. Certainly. When he was like fourteen years old, he wrote to me and said, "Hey, when I grow up, I want to do what you do." And yeah. uh, he, you know, he. I, so I, I, I feel like there are some people out there like that, but every once in a while, I mean, I I hear the same thing that. That you're telling me, somebody will say, "Hey, you know, reading you was a great influence on me, or that's one of the reasons I wanted to be a sports writer." I mean, I don't know what that means in terms of legacy, <laughs> but it's really tremendous to to hear that and feel like you you helped somebody find their way in life, right?
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, me and uh, and so many others, I think, you know, can attest to reading your Sunday, you know, baseball week pages in the Inquirer in the 1990s and such, and and using that as sort of a a platform for, oh, this is how you can do it, which leads me to, I think, uh, getting to kind of you growing up in Philadelphia. I mean, were you, when you were a kid, did you, like, go to Connie Mack Stadium and, like, You know, sit there, and as the Phillies were giving up eight runs in an inning, say, "I don't know. Maybe the Phillies haven't given up eight runs in an inning on a Saturday." I have to look this up somehow. Has that ever happened? Was that happening when you were a kid? I I I wasn't quite at
2: that stage when I was like nine years old. Sorry, but (laughs) (laughs) I'm not I'm not that sick. But I'll tell you what I did do, and I I wrote about this in my Wild Pitches book. Um, I used to go to the games as a kid with my binoculars, and I. I swear this is true. I take those binoculars out and I train them on the press box, trying to figure out what those people were doing up there. Huh. And I, you know, I, I don't know how to explain this except that I I loved sports, and I guess I was one of the smart ones. I figured out early on I wasn't going to be good enough to actually play sports professionally. <laughs> and my my mother was a writer. She had some newspaper friends. I just thought, wow, this would be a really cool thing to do someday. So I was always curious about it, and like the the part where I decided, you know, when's the last time this happened, or I never saw that before. um, I don't know when that came along, but now I'm 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 imprisoned by that mentality.
0: Help. (laughs) (laughs) That well, that's become that's become how you're defined. I think in a lot of ways. We were talking off air uh, about how just today you were looking for uh, an instance in which an outfield had the same last name, all three people in the outfield. Um, (laughs) Right. The white,
2: the white socks. It's Friday, April 14th. The white Sox are starting an outfield of all guys named Garcia tonight. And all over Twitter, people feel like they have to tell me this and they, they need to ask me the last time this happened. And this is, Tim, this is my lot in life. This is the niche I've carved out for myself. Every day something happens in baseball, and somebody will say to me, hey, you would appreciate this, or only you would know this, or yeah. hey, i got to tell you this, or when's the last time this happened, or something like that. And I, it just makes me laugh <laughs> that people think that I'm just this walking encyclopedia of weirdness.
0: Well, yeah, and I mean.
1: I am. <laughs> you, you, you were, you were
0: I, but you were that guy, you know. Definitely the Inquirer. I mean, you had, you know, the weird box score line of the week, and you, you know yep. the grumblings, and grumblings, of course, and all that stuff. Um, but it must be like neat to have that niche, and especially because baseball is anything, ha- and every day you see something new, right? I mean, that's the that's one of the old cliches: is that every game you'll watch, there's something new that you haven't seen before. So you're kind of like the king of that. You know, little. I, I've become the king of that. Yeah. Um, it's funny
2: that, that you say that, really, because my my mother a million times told me you need to write a book and call it. I never
0: saw that before,
2: and yeah. one of these days I might actually do that.
0: No, that'd be great. No, I think I think that'd be a, a big seller too. Um, right? And
2: you know, I've written up so many little things like that, notes and columns and just craziness. That all right, this Garcia thing comes along, and I'm thinking. I know I wrote about something like this at the Inquirer. <laughs> There's a Week in Review column about this. And, and it's like, for some reason, it dawned on me that the Pirates once started an outfield of three guys named Brown. And so I was trying to look that up today. And like I think when this happens, I really need to defragment my hard drive. Think of the the dumb stuff that is rattling around in my brain. It's just taking up space. To, it's not a, contributing to the betterment of anybody's life, <laughs> except these people tweeting at me. That's it.
0: You need to go on a two-week vacation to Barbados or something. <laughs> like two-month vacation. I, I do. I really do. <laughs> um, so, okay, so I want to just get into, I mean, born in Philadelphia, going to games. I mean, you were a Phillies fan growing up. Is that right?
2: I was a Phillies fan. That's that, That's correct, and – Um, you know, I eventually went from being a Phillies fan to covering the Phillies, which changes everything. But I really was a big Phillies fan from the time I was eight or nine years old until the time I went to work for the Inquirer.
0: So you, were you, were you a fan? Was their first year fandom 64?
2: That's the first year that I really vividly remember. Okay. And why wouldn't you? Right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, talk talk about you haven't seen before. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's I actually tell people now. It, I, I actually tell people now it's time to forget about all that.
0: Yeah, I, right. You know, I,
2: I wrote that book on the 2008 Phillies that won the World Series, and so I did a book signing tour, and people would actually come to that and tell me all their horrible memories of the '64 Phillies collapsing, <laughs> and I tried to advise them, you can let it go now, yeah. right? The, the Phillies have won the World Series, and then they did it again. You can let it go, but they don't want to let it go.
0: No, of course that's
2: not. A, that's part of being a Philadelphian.
0: Absolutely. But the thing that I think is, has kind of come out in the last couple of years at least has – there's more of an appreciation toward the 64 team than I think there has been in the past. And I think the Dick Allen Hall of Fame you know, uh, uh, a campaign has kind of helped that a little bit. Um, but I feel like people are kind of a little bit better on that team than they used to be.
2: Yeah, you know, there's a,
0: it's a really interesting
2: phenomenon – um, there's a real fondness for that team almost if it won. You know, if uh, if the rules were the same then as they are now, that team would have won the NL East even after losing 10 in a row, right? Would have gone yeah. to the playoffs. It would not be remembered anywhere near the same. And so people, I think in retrospect, decided apparently they enjoyed that ride. And the guys who played for those for that team were folk heroes dick allen at the head of the list he was like my first favorite player
0: um when you became a beat writer that was in what 1979
2: it was yeah i arrived when pete rose arrived
0: um when you when you got there i mean obviously the team was at a place where they were very close and they had nearly gotten the world series a couple of times did you get a sense? I mean, okay, Pete Rose is being inducted this year into the Wall of Fame. Did you get a sense that Pete Rose was kind of that addition to the team that did need to get them over the hump?
2: It it's it sure felt that way. Um, I don't, and I think it was actually more than just a narrative. Um, you know, we, it's funny that the segue to this question is the '64 Phillies because at that point, the you know. No team had won a World Series in Philadelphia. And so the 64 Phillies hung over every single team in this town. I'm, I don't even think just the baseball teams. Yeah. Um, you know, People were in that mentality that Cubs fans were in for a century, that, all right, something's going to go wrong and screw this up. And that team, the guys who played for it, just didn't enjoy dealing with that. Uh, and especially after they you know, failed to win a postseason series three years in a row. And so that was really, as much as anything, the reason that Pete Rose was was brought to Philadelphia. Proven winner. Mm -hmm. Talked about winning. Uh, Really helped transform the mindset of a bunch of guys who hadn't won. It's not the only reason they won. Mm -hmm. Dallas Green played a huge role in it. Uh, You know, Paul Owens is forgotten by time. You know, one of the great general managers in the history of this town. There's a lot of reasons that team won. But the, the, I don't think they win without Pete Rose. I'll put it that way.
0: Yeah, I, and I think, you know, just looking, we did a 50 greatest Phillies games in the last 50 years over the offseason, and I wrote a lot about the 1980 Phillies, and it seemed like in every game that mattered that year, Pete Rose had, like, three walks and a base hit or two and was all over the field and was doing something. Like, he made plays in center field, for God's sakes. He was doing things that, you know, i just – couldn't do, you know, and it does kind of tell you that, yeah, I think every team does, I mean, not every team, but the teams that at least the Phillies were known as this kind of leisurely bunch. They needed that guy who could just kind to of get them through the finish and say, no, you can win the World Series. You're, you're better than these teams.
2: Yeah, and, you know, you've, you've heard them all talk about it, so it, it's not just revisionist history. It was, it felt that way at the time, and, I mean, again, you hear Mike Schmidt and Larry Boa. And they, the key cogs in that team speak about it all the time. They needed to hear from somebody like Pete how good they were, and I, it was important.
0: In in all your years of covering the Phillies, I mean, Pete Rose was obviously a character. Larry Bow was a character. Um, even schmidt at times could be, you know, character. Uh, are there any really interesting characters that, you know, of all the quotes that you got, of all the people that you met, you know, just you love talking to the person, or maybe you didn't like the, talking to the person?
2: Well, uh, you know, we were talking about my, my bizarre niche in sports writing history, and I'm one of those writers who I always gravitate toward the funniest people in the room. And so, you know, the Doug Glanvilles, the Larry Andersons, <laughs> The Don Carmans the Jimmy Rollins, those people you know, they just they got sick of me. I wore them out. <laughs>
0: they, they, give me a know, Don give me give me a Don Carmen story because I didn't know he was funny. Uh,
2: oh Don Carmen was tremendous. There's like the 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 two great Don Carmen things that I recall, uh that, that kept Week in Review humming. Uh one was he started his career by going I I I think it was I just saw a list of this, so I know it's, I don't I remember this wrong. I remember it as being over fifty-four. Okay. That's how he started his career at the plate. He used to refer to it as that Johnny Vandermeer thing I did. <laughs> and uh we just saw a list because uh, Wei Yin Chen started his career by going over fifty, and he wasn't on it, so it must have been like over forty eight or whatever it was. But anyway, he finally got a hit after going over forty eight, over forty eight thousand, whatever it was. And then he got to second base and got picked off second base. And, it, it, and his explanation made a lot of sense. He said, I've never been to second base. <laughs> so <laughs> that was a pretty good excuse. And then the other thing was he was obsessed with like all the cliche answers that players would give to questions. Yeah. So he actually spent his time coming up with a list of the 50 greatest, greatest baseball cliches. And he printed them up. And he told me that his plan was... And rather than everybody have to answer questions after games, uh, he was going to check off the cliches that applied, and then he would hand them out as we walked into the clubhouse.
0: <laughs> that's pretty innovative, don't you think? No, that's incredible. That's incredible. I, that's, I, I'm surprised. I mean, are there players like that today who are, are, are like that? Who give you that same sense?
2: I, I don't think there's anybody who's quite that out there. Yeah. But there's some there's some pretty amusing players. I don't I don't want to sell them short. Um, I mean, <laughs> Doug Glanville was was different than that, but wow. he was you know, cerebral. You, I, so cerebral, but so funny. And you could you could go to Doug with just about any topic. And, hey, I, you know, I went to that. Well, again, this spring training when I was doing a piece in honor of Arod rod on uh, all the great moments and special spring instructors. And he had me laughing for half an hour. I was crying and he was yeah. holding one of his kids at the time and she was She was literally crying, but I was crying (laughs) laughing. But uh, like Doug was the only player that I ever remember like in an actual interview using the the phrase time-space-continuum, although it might have been space-time-continuum. I can't (laughs) can't remember which.
0: We'd have to check with (laughs) him. Yeah, it
2: was one of those periods where the Phillies were getting rained out or rain-delayed every single day when Philadelphia... Summer weather was at its finest. And so I calculated up all the time that they'd spent at the ballpark, not actually playing over a period of like nine days in a row. So he just felt like the phrase time, space, continuum applied to that. I've never heard that used before. But believe me, I'm going to talk to somebody who knows that phrase.
0: Oh, yeah, it always comes back. And um, you were there, of course, '93. 93, the '93 93 team. Um, was there anybody in that that period of time? I mean, you mentioned Larry Anderson, but anybody? I mean, such an amazing group to cover. Was there anybody who kind of stuck out in your mind in, in that in that era?
2: Well, I had a lot of fun with that team. I would say, you know, there were there were a bunch of writers that didn't have fun covering. Them that team yeah but they were a bunch of really amusing people and since my niche was not so much to say all right well how are you going to screw this up why you know you don't really belong in first place my niche was to say wait you just won a game at four forty-one a.m <laughs> okay <laughs> so you might remember that uh that team um in the same week yep they played the doubleheader the mitch the mitchy poo game that ended at four was it 4:41 a.m.? 4:47 a.m. Yeah, 4:41 yeah, a.m. And then, uh, like six days later, uh, they played a game that uh, that wound up going. Was it 19 innings? 20 innings? 20 yeah. innings? I think. Yeah, against right? the Dodgers. Yeah, against the uh, yeah. So uh, Mitch blew a save in the ninth inning, and so you know I just made the rounds of the, that clubhouse. And poor Darren Dalton had to catch 20 innings because Mitch blew a save. And I remember him him telling me that, uh, you know, his his next day, his his knees hurt, his head hurt, his back hurt. Everything hurt. It was all Mitch's fault. And he said, you know, and Mitch is like four feet away when he's telling me all this. And he said, I think that because Mitch blew that save, he should really buy all of us who had to play for another three and a half hours like a car or something. And Mitch just looks up deadpan and he says, Hey, if I'd known that you were gonna to have to play another three hours, I'd have tried a lot harder. <laughs> that was the kind of thing that I you could get out of that team. And I remember Larry I went to Larry Anderson on this and we were talking about how right, they played a game that ended at two in the morning, they played a game, then ended at four forty in the morning, and he said, This team does some of its best work between two and five in the morning.
0: That's right. And you can
2: take that any way you want, but I wrote that down and I put it in the inquiry.
0: Well, you know how Larry Anderson means it. <laughs> I do. Uh, um, I, I don't want to let you go without talking about this year's Phillies team, and I'm sure I mean, you've probably watched a little bit of this team at least. Um, what have you seen? So it's mega early, but do you have any early impressions of the team, things that you like or don't like about the team?
2: Um, well, I think that their pitching is, is, is should be a lot more reliable than last year. And their bullpen, in particular, should be a lot more reliable than last year. And uh, you you would think that would lead to them winning more games. Except that, you know, if you really look inside the numbers last year, um, based on run differential, their expected one loss total was actually sixty and one hundred and two. And in, instead, <laughs> they, they won a lot more games than that. Yeah, and it's, a real tri- it's a tribute to the managers. A tribute to all the one run games that they that they won. But now that I got all that out of the way, I think what's most interesting to me about this team isn't even so much the team on the field in the big leagues. Because I feel like when you look beyond that at what's coming in AAA and to some extent in AA, that's the intrigue around this team. Who in Lehigh Valley is going to be so good that they have to call them up to the big leagues this year? Yeah. Um, you know, is this the year that J.P. Crawford does it? Is the year that Roman Quinn stays healthy and does it? Is Nick Williams going to do that? Is the catcher going to do that? You go around the field, you can find this in almost every position. And then, if they do that, if they're ready, what happens to the group on the field in Philadelphia?
1: Right.
2: Who you know? Who is going to? Uh, who's going to get traded? Who's right. going to get? benched. Who's going to survive? Who's not going to survive? It's, we're now in this process where you can start to look at the team and look at the organization and foresee them playing in a postseason game at some point. And when they do play that next postseason game, who is going to be on the field? How many guys from this team are going to be on the field? How many guys from Lehigh Valley will be on the field? How many guys from Reading? How many big time free agents that they're going to go out and lavish all this money on uh, will fill out the group you know we'll reached that point now where this it's not so much the standings that matter it's that path from the bottom of the mountain to the top of the mountain, and who's along for that ride
0: well I, real quick since you covered the Phillies for so long, have you ever been a part of a. Have you ever seen a prospect list like this in Philadelphia? Has there ever been something like this when you were covering the team?
2: Well, I mean, the team that got to the World Series, you know, if you go around the diamond, Mike Arbuckle and his group were so good at nailing those first and second round picks that, mm-hmm. I mean, that's really how that happened. But to have this much prospect depth at once, I think is the difference. Um, the The team that turned into the 2008 Phillies, you know, they they nailed so many drafts in a row that they had star power.
0: Yeah, they, they made I think, stars. Yeah,
2: right. I think this system lacks that star power, but has way more depth. So they have so many fascinating decisions ahead. That it, I mean, I'm really interested to see what. You know, what kind of decisions they make and how they make them and how they execute because they're in a great position with all these all these prospects and all this money to spend. But, but to turn that into what happened in 2008, that's harder than it looks.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and hopefully, uh, as the year goes on, we'll see some of those decisions take root. Hopefully we can talk to you later on in the season about some of those things as they happen. Uh, Jason, thanks for coming on the podcast. I'll let you go, and uh, it's been a pleasure. Tim,
2: been my pleasure, too. Thanks so much for having me on. Enjoyed it.
0: Well, if any player in the Phillies' offense has had a really good start, it is one Cesar Hernandez. Boy, he's having a great start to the season. We were a little worried about whether he was going to have the same successful play as he did in the last half of last year, but has really responded. 393 on-base percentage, 346 average. He has three home runs, which lead the Philadelphia Phillies right now. And our Corey Sharp, who wrote about him this past week and if he could be the future of this franchise and Scott Kingery and all that's going on at second base, I think Corey's got to be pretty happy about how Cesar is playing. Uh, You must be gloating.
1: I am right now. He He's making me look good. He's making me look like a million bucks right now.
0: Well, he's he's certainly earning his uh, three home runs. He's going to lead the team. And you wrote about how Hernandez, you know, is this is really the year where I think he's proven himself to be a regular everyday player on a top-shelf team, and uh, he's certainly doing that right now. But he has Scott Kingery breathing down his neck. And Kingery, no slouch himself this year. He's hitting three thirteen with a four thirty nine OBP. He's got four home runs, which lead the Redding fight in fills. But what do you think about Kingery and Hernandez? I know you said that Hernandez really should be the guy we look at going forward, but 2018, do you think he is the guy at second base?
1: I, I do. I, I mean, especially if he, you yeah, know, I mentioned it in the piece that this season's still early, obviously. But all indications are that, that Hernandez is, is going to... Ex- you know at least do what he did last year if not exceed it and i'm not against scott Kingry at all i just think i think you have to find a new spot for him you know I, you know i don't think you can mess with you know something that you know you have when you know and i mentioned again in the piece, dominic brown supposed to be the next best thing and and look what happened there so i think you you roll with roll with the known is, is my motto at least for that for well. that predict
0: yeah, I mean, prospects are just that. They're prospects. It's, you know, like a prospect, yeah. define a prospect is something that could happen in the future. And we don't know what the future will hold for all these guys. And, of course, we have a great system at this point. But who knows if Scott Kingery comes up to the majors and, you know, completely falls flat on his face like Dominic Brown did. Well, to be fair, Brown had a good season uh, but and a good month or whatever. But I, And I still love Dominic Brown, but that's me. But... <laughs> Looking at what this franchise has in all the other positions on the diamond, which, of course, they have a lot of bounty out there. Let's start with catcher, because this is a place where what is happening at the major league level is not strong right now. Cameron Rupp has had a very slow start to the year. He's hitting 167 with a 286 OBP. Uh, He only has five hits on the year. Andrew Knapp is his backup, and Knapp really hasn't had a lot of looks so far this season. Only 10 at-bats, and he's only hitting 200. But then, of course, there's Jorge Alfaro, who is doing a very nice job in Lehigh Valley with a three sixty one average, uh, one home run, five RBIs. He's hitting the cover off the ball. Let's look at 2018. What are the pros to having Cameron Rupp on this team as your starting catcher in 2018, and do you think he should be the guy?
1: Uh, the, I guess the pros are that obviously he he's a, he'll be a veteran by that point uh, a pretty uh, you know a guy who's been here who knows the starting rotation um, you know he he, does, he has pop um, but he, he's, he he'll probably he'll probably be that mentor uh, for Alfaro that that would be the pro pretty much for for uh, for Cameron Rupp being here
0: yeah and and as far as Alfaro being here in 2018. What, what 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 does he give you uh, next year, do you think?
1: He gives you a lot. I mean, he'll give you, you know, he could hit for average and he could hit for power. Um, and I think behind the plate I've heard he's had a, you know, work on game calling as well as his defense. But if, if you're hitting the ball, you know, like he is, if he's hitting right now 361, he can be around two, between 280, 300. You know, I think we'd gladly take that for whatever he may give up behind the
0: plate. No doubt, that that's you know all star numbers for a catcher, of course, and he's really hitting the ball well so far. Um, first base, again, another place where there is a struggle happening. Tommy Joseph is only hitting one uh, 167, same average as Cameron Rupp right now. Almost identical numbers, actually, with the power, only one home run for both of them. Um, Joseph's really struggled out there, and Brock Stassi's sort of been up and down. He's had some moments. He had the big home run, uh, his first hit of, the, of his career. His glove looks fantastic, by the way. Um, and, of course, we're kind of grading on a curve because we had Ryan Howard for so many years. But, again, you have in the minors a first baseman who is hitting the cover off the ball. Reese Hoskins is hitting three twenty four. He hit two home runs on Saturday. He's got now three on the season. Uh, he's got a six seventy six slugging percentage. Pros of Tommy Joseph being here in 2018 as your starter?
1: If he's here, a pro would be that he, he, uh, he's hit 25 to 30 home runs and knocked in over 70, you know, between 70 to 80 RBIs. So that, that means... Yeah, he, he's a productive player. Obviously, we don't know that now. Uh, he's he's off to a slow start. What I'm uh, a little concerned with now that he, he's he's not catching up to the fastball, and he's just not swinging at good pitches either. Uh, right. But that yeah, that's a lot of a lot of players. Uh, you yeah, know, they say pitching kind of dominates April. You know, when when the uh, hitters need to get their timing. Yeah, at much smaller level. You know, I always. Yeah, you know, in high school ball, I, I struggle the first few games of the year in in, in uh, the middle of March. Obviously, it's a much smaller scale, but that's how some players are. And um, yeah, well, so we'll have to see. But a pro would, if he's here in, in next year as a starter, and and you, you'll know why.
0: Yeah, I mean, he definitely has power, and that's the big tool for him. If that's not there, though, I think it's a very tough road for Tommy Joseph to hoe. Meanwhile, you have Reese Hoskins, who you know has a decent glove down there, but really is just an all-around great hitter. And he's, I think, even right now with walks and strikeouts, I think five each to start the year. So this is a guy who has an eye, he's patient, he's getting pitches to hit, he's driving the ball. Of course, he does have, you know, a good offense around him. But I think right now you're looking at Hoskins and saying, yeah, this guy, you know, if Joseph is scuffling mid-season, I think you might have to call up, call up Reese Hoskins.
1: I totally agree. I mean, I, I would... I would give Joseph. I mean, I'm, you're not going to call up Reese Hoskins tomorrow, but right. I, I would give Joseph maybe till the end of May. You know, be, uh, beginning to the middle of June around there. I mean, you know, if he's still around 200, you know, I, I, would, I would I would take a look at Hoskins. You know, especially if he's still hit, hitting the ball the way he is, you know, I would I would pull the plug.
0: Well, that that would be some karma because Joseph came up at the end of May last year, of course, with Ryan Howard playing uh, poorly and and Darren Ruff doing a a pretty terrible job. Uh, Finally, let's go to shortstop where, of course, everybody talks about J.P. Crawford and he's having a really, really tough season right now. He's only hitting 086. He's got a 200 on base percentage, which is his bread and butter, but he's not doing it right now. 12 strikeouts, five walks. Uh, He's just having a hard time here to start up his season here. Of course, he still has a great glove. He still has the good speed. He can get you know uh, from first to third pretty decently. The guy in the majors who he's trying to unseat, Freddie Galvis, also not really having a good start to the year. One ninety average, a three eighty one slug. He does have a couple homers. Whoop dee do. But with the glove, obviously it's great. But what about Freddie? You know, first, do, does Freddie belong on this team with his current production? If we're in June, July. Um, but also, is J.P. Crawford? You know, should he be on this team? You know, if he's if he's hitting this poorly in June, July.
1: Well, I guess with Freddie Galvis, I think he. He's, it's tough to say whether if he is going to maintain this in, in June or July, whether he belongs on the team. But I, I think he's got. Last year, I think he's got enough leeway to where I would I would just let him go, at least until Crawford's ready. Because um, you really have no one else anyway. Yeah. If Crawford were to turn around in in July, by July, and Galvis is still uh, with, hitting where he is, I, absolutely, I, I would throw in uh, Crawford. I, yeah, we did our staff predictions, um, you know, a week before the season started, and I had J.P. Crawford coming up the, the day after the All Star break. That's when I had him at it, as his first start. So I, I still think he, you know he's still early enough to where he could be on track for that.
0: Yeah, I think when it comes to Crawford and Galvis, I think we're all waiting to see Crawford earn his way to the majors, and Galvis is just basically going to play shortstop until Crawford has earned his way. And even right. then, you know, it's possible that Freddie still gets a lot of time starting with Crawford kind of getting, you know, uh, a start here, a start there, maybe playing on the bench a little bit. I don't know. But at this point, I think we're right. Yeah. I, I think – Right.
1: I think Freddie Galvis could be the Andres Blanco, you know, in, 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 by next year, you know, where he, he's the utility guy.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. possible, um, you know, it, it'd be a really good utility fielder. I'll tell you that. It'd be great to have right. love it still out there. Uh, yeah. But it is tough watching him scuffle right now, but at least he's in the eight hole. He's not really hurting in a major way, but... You know, I think we're just playing wait and see with all these guys, and I think we got to revisit this maybe end of May, and then see okay is this the time to bring up certain guys or to say yes or no on certain guys. But we'll see when we get there. Corey Sharp, Philliesnation. dot com. Yep. Thanks for coming on. Thanks. My thanks to Corey Sharp for coming on the podcast. Also, thanks to Jason Stark for coming on. Great to talk to him. And thank you to bensound.com for the music. If you would like to contribute music to the Phillies Nation podcast, please get in touch with me, tim at philliesnation.com. We'd love to get your music on the podcast. We would also love to get your stories. Email me with stories about your Phillies fandom at tim at philliesnation.com. You can find the Phillies Nation podcast to get on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spreaker, Tune in radio, iHeartRadio, and YouTube.com slash Go to PhilliesNation.com for all news information and more. Twitter at PhilliesNation, Facebook.com slash PhilliesNation, and Instagram at PhilliesNation underscore. By the way, Jorge Alfaro, again, 395 on base percentage with 13 hits this year, three extra base hits. Reese Hoskins has six extra base hits and is hitting 324. Nick Pavetta, 13 strikeouts and 13 innings. It's all coming together, guys. We'll see you next week on the Phillies Nation Podcast.